Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, JJ Rivera, and welcome to 305 Culture, a show where you feel the heat. Now let's get down to business and talk some Miami Heat basketball. Well, first I want to welcome my co-host, Kenneth. How you doing, man? As always, man, I'm great. Lovely. Glad to be here. Uh, just glad I get to talk some ball with you, man. Yeah, me too. Me too, man. Anyway, let's get, let's drive right into it. The Phoenix Suns in the previous game of the NBA Finals were recording, by the way, we're recording on July 19, 2021, which is a Monday. And, you know, game five occurred two days ago. Mm, it, was a, mm, it's mm. A, it was a really great game. Mm-hmm. They, these finals have been really entertaining and you know uh the bucks are up three to two we both predicted the suns would win kenneth said in six so that seems to be out the window oh yeah our predictions are are pretty much like i'm not gonna say obliterated but our predictions aren't looking too good i do have something on our predictions though after you get through your synopsis here i said suns and seven that is still pretty much alive but the suns are heading to milwaukee in a Pressure filled game six. Pressure cooker of a game, bro. Pressure cooker. Tuesday, Tuesday. Wow. Tuesday is like a Tuesday is. I, I hate to say this because we've had this conversation about Chris Paul. Even if he doesn't win the title, he's still one of the best ever to ever do it. Um, I know I just was redundant, but you have to say it twice when you're talking about CP. Um, <clears throat> but the thing about it is, man, it's almost a defining game for a man who has a career that's already been defined. Uh, it's an oxymoron. It sounds weird, but it is. It is. It's probably like, you know, that, whereas with most players, you put them in this posi- position or situation to see if they can come out on top. You're like, okay, you're a great player. You've done this. We put this on your name. We give you the accolades. We praise you, rah, 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 this player, that player. And we're putting you in this position to see if you can come through on all of that praise, all of the money, all of the endorsements, all of the gifts, all of the blessings that you've been given, you know, to be a great basketball player. With Chris Paul, it's almost like we're not putting him in this position to see as much as it's pure validation. Like we know he's capable as opposed to the other guys we have to see if they're capable. We know he's capable but it's almost just like for all of our basketball psyche, like all the good basketball karma and to like restore balance into the, you know, physiological basketball world. Chris Paul has to validate himself as the champion with hardware and championship moments to pair along with the championship career and play and level of talent and excellence that we have all seen and know he has. It's, it's a weird concept, man, but I'm gonna go ahead and say it now that I've given my whole little, you know, my whole little speech. It's a defining game for Chris Paul. I agree on that point. However, I've been rooting for Chris Paul during these finals, but I was so very disappointed on, on him when, you know, in game five, 
Listen, the play man. of the the play of the game, <laughs> the probably the play of the finals. Drew Holiday, first off, Drew Holiday, you gotta have some stones to throw that alley oop. Gumption, gumption. So props to Drew, and he put it right on the money, and Giannis put an, an exclamation point in the game, and it ended up sealing the whole thing. I mean, Drew was on one. He upgraded his passer icon before the game. Do you remember the one that P.J. Tucker along the baseline with the left hand hanging out of bounds? Yeah, yeah, I do. What, what, man, what a pass, what a pass. Sorry to interrupt you, but that was a hell of a pass to go along with the other hell of a pass that you had mentioned. This, guy, this guy's playmaking has been really good in some games in these plays, and it wasn't full display in game five. But I want to talk about the alley-oop. Giannis catches the ball. And slams it, but as he's slamming it, Chris Paul attempts to push him midair. I'm sorry, that's a dirty play. I don't care if he was trying to foul him in order to prevent him from dunking. That's a dirty play. You cannot push we, somebody in midair. We've talked about it, bro. I, I think I mentioned it um, either last episode or the episode before last. For as great as Chris Paul is, and we know Chris Paul is great. Um, and... <sighs> Chris Paul is a tough case study in this particular situation because I, and, I and, and hear me out here. When a player does something dirty is dirty, regardless, you know what I mean? And we can all see that, but there are certain guys that you're like, is he just a blatant dirty player or is he one of those guys that'll do anything to win? Um, and I think Chris Paul qualifies as both. But being that he qualifies as both, you kind of want to look past his dirtiness a little bit because he's great. Now, I say a little bit because I mentioned it. Like I said, in either in the last episode or in the episode prior to that, well, I said for as great as he is, you know, regardless of how we all may look at him, he's a little bit dirty. You know, he approaches the line. Like, you know, he'll hit you in the nuts. He'll definitely push you. He'll turn around from the ref and talk a little trash. I actually saw a video earlier today about the whole uh, Patrick Beverly fiasco, and I don't know how true it is, but I can believe it. Um, I, again, I don't know how true it is, but I can believe that Chris Paul might have said it. They say that Patrick Beverly pushed him because Chris Paul had looked over at DeMarcus Cousins, who had been talking trash to CP all game, and told Boogie that, you know, you a bum, and my son has more money in his bank account than you'll ever have. Um, but little one, I mean, Chris Paul is nasty, man. He's dirty. He's nasty. Oh, man. He can that's do anything a, to win. That's so, a low blow. <laughs> I mean, but 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 that's Chris Paul, yo. So I said all that to say, like, that's why I hit on it. I totally agree. Um, but while it is dirty, I don't think Chris Ball is a bad human being. I think he wants to win so bad that sometimes he lets his competitive balance in nature overtake his better judgment and logic and that's not giving him a pass because he's still dirty however that's what i think that happens i think outside of those lines he's probably you know one of the most diabolical and cynical guys when it comes to getting what he wants but i think as far as it's been a, a, a decent human being i think he's that but no in, in the confines of the basketball court the guy will do anything to win and when i say anything i mean anything just ask julius Hodge. thankfully nothing Nothing bad happened. Giannis landed okay. He had... That's our... I mean, we have seen two all-time plays in the in back-to-back games from Giannis himself. And as he's one win away from an NBA championship, there, 
he's about to he's 26 years old and if he wins the championship and finals MVP that's going to be a really good resume by 26 he's going to be ahead of some of the all-time of where some of the all-time guys were at this age now we touched on this at the beginning of the NBA finals and we still thought that the Suns would pull it off but let's touch up a bit upon on the Bucks what they're doing well the, what they did well in the last three games, they won three games in a row after being down two nothing. What do you like that what they have done in the past two games, Kenneth? That really put Phoenix in this in this situation. I think it's exactly what I told you it would be. Um, I think that every we talked about a lot of stuff, and all of it is coming into play: the defensive matchups, who's going to guard who, how they're going to deploy what. But I think that something I said, and again, this is not to pat me on my back, because if you had have said it, you know I'd say that too. Um, it just so happens that I said it. But remember when I said that if you're the Suns, you make everybody else beat you? Because Giannis is a great player. He, you can, you know, neutralize him somewhat. But for the most part, he's still 2010 because he's a great player. Can you remember that? Yeah. But the, but the um, fact of the matter is that all three guys played excellent. That's the point. That's the point, though. So when you say that you're going to make them beat you, well, they are. Like, and, and if they're all clicking, there's not a damn thing you can do about it. And that's why I've been shaking my head and mm-mm-mm and all shows so far because the Suns were up big and got walked. But the only way they can get walked is when all of those guys on the Bucks are clicking. And that's what I said would be your strategy if you're the Suns because that's the only way you can beat them. Because clearly if they're clicking, no matter where you are, which is the part that I said I would bring up about our predictions, because I told you that somebody was still one on the road. Um, I thought that both teams would do it. I thought that the Suns would be first, but it messed around and it was the Bucks first. But I told you, I, I knew somebody was going to lose on the road. So I'm not taking, you know, whole credit, but I just had a feeling that the home, you know, the winning at home every game wasn't going to pan out. Um, but that's only possible because, you know, everybody's clicking for the Bucks. Also, another thing, I don't know what's going on with Chris Paul. I mean, the previous game, game four, he looked like he even had difficulty dribbling the ball. I mean, sometimes the problem is called Drew Holiday. Good point. I, I want to stay there when you finish because I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Go ahead. But listen, Chris Paul has been, you know, Devin Booker has been scoring the ball in, in, in an elite manner the, the past two games. But I, I don't think that's the, that's the appropriate way for the Suns to win. You know, if they want to win the NBA championship, that's not the way they're going to win. Not not with him doing all of it, and he can still get off, but I think Chris Paul has to, and not even for a raw numbers perspective as much as strategically, because at some point you're going to need to hit a separating bucket, whether that be in the final minutes, final minutes, or the final seconds. And if you're not doing your part, everything's going to shift to the guy that has been carrying you, which is D-Book. And I think that's what you're saying, because if that's what you're saying, I totally agree. I mean, and it was purely reflected in the last, well, the second, third to last play of the game for the Suns, where Booker drove left and he was around the elbow and the Bucks trapped him. Now, Booker made the mistake of lowering the ball and that's when Drew swooped in for the steal. People say he was fouled. 
that foul will never get called in a close game in the NBA Finals. If you put the if you put the ball down, you're not gonna get that foul call, foul call unless you you exaggerate the contact, and even then you you'll get lucky if you get the foul call because we've seen it, and you know the refs let you play in, in those final couple of seconds. You know if if they're good refs, they usually let you play unless it's something egregious. But it was accentuated in those final seconds when Booker, the Bucks defense knew that it was going to be Booker, the one who was going to take the shot, and they re- and they guessed correctly, and that led to the to a transition bucket that will surely become an iconic picture in the NBA Finals promo for years to come. Now, I want to move on to the to Game Six. How is how is it going to look like? First, let me say the Bucks in the fourth quarter they were bailed out by some ridiculous, ridiculous Chris Middleton shots in the ha- in the half court. He, he's been doing that all playoffs, man. And 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 you know what? Not to cut you off, but if you take it back to what was the game one versus us, um, the very first game of the playoffs for both teams, us and them, um, you didn't know that that was. A omen, so to speak, for other teams, of course, a omen of things to come. But um, just those type of shots where you're like, nah, what the world? I mean, the game. And then he comes down again and he's like, nah. The game winner, and he hits the game winner like, in game one. That's what I'm talking about, bro. Like, like you, you, he, you're not supposed to hit that shot, first of all. Not in that moment, but you're not supposed to make it look that easy. And he's not only has he hit some of the most difficult shots, um, like the of the highest difficulty level throughout this playoff run for the Bucks, but I mean he's doing it with massive volume and he's making it look easy. I mean, it it's downright disturbing. That's a Chris Middleton experience, I guess. I mean, it's just that the Bucks half court offense sometimes gets you know, it's sometimes so difficult for them to manufacture looks because, you know, their best player operates, e- easily operates much better in transition because he's probably the most unstoppable transition player playing right now. But on the half courts, and since your best player cannot shoot, then you have to resort to Middleton. And when he's making those types of shots, then you're in a whole heap of trouble because the Suns were defending him well. He was just making them. And then at Drew Holiday making step back threes, and you know there's something go- I want to say. You know we 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 t- we gushed over Drew Holiday and all that. What's up with him missing all those layups? Because he's hitting out outside shots, but the man has missed some pretty open layups for some reason. I don't understand. Right, and you don't expect that from Drew Holiday because of his physicality and his size, and of course his history of just being able to finish and finish through contact, but. That um, the contact, I think, is what is is what um, it's doing. And not that he's shying from contact or can't finish through the contact. I think everybody knows that Drew Holiday is a big physical guard who embraces the contact. So they probably beat him up a little bit to start the series. And then as the series has waned on and other people have started to get off and he started to elevate his playmaking, they've probably fainted at him or touched him a little less. So it's just an adjustment thing. And, you know, like, let's say if you're going hard to the cup and you're expecting contact and you don't get it, it might throw off your touch or your rhythm or whatever, whatever, whatever. So um, I think it's more just an adjustment thing as far as the physics 
a finishing, if that makes sense, more than him being nervous. Because as you've mentioned, he's making step back threes. And to touch on a point we were making earlier, to the Bucks offense, think about what we've talked about thus far, bro. Middleton is hitting shots that, you know what I mean, I'm going to say it. Middleton looking like, you know, Michael Jordan versus versus, you know, the Utah Jazz out here. No shrug, just hitting impossible shots. And, and I'm not calling him that. I'm just saying he's hitting some difficult, difficult with a capital D, difficult shots. Um, shout out to Duncan Robinson. You play a hell of a defense, man. That's just a great shot. Flashback. But also then you look at Drew Holiday, who's throwing passes, you know, from you're throwing passes from his hometown. He's he can bring it from LA and, and swoop it back over to Milwaukee on a no look and hit PJ for a wide open three or Giannis for alley oop by being pushed by Chris Paul pinpoint pass accuracy. And that's just two of the many that he's thrown in the last couple of games. Um, as like I said, he's obviously turned up his playmaker badge a little bit. Um, and then, like said, Giannis. I mean, we've you know, exclaimed on his greatness for the last two episodes. We we had to talk about where he ranks in the, you know, the all-time echelon of players in the last episode. So when you're talking about what the Milwaukee Bucks have been able to do on offense across the last couple of games, and then you think about those three things, which, again, we've talked about in sort of, you know what I mean, depth um, just in these last two episodes, it kind of makes sense, right? It does, and credit to them for figuring it out. You know, credit to... The entire team, Pat Connaughton, gave them a huge boost. He's been making up for Dante DiVincenzo's absence throughout the playoffs after he got injured. Absolutely. That's key. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I didn't know how that would work because DiVincenzo gives them a little bit of playmaking, a lot of shooting, a little athleticism, finishing, and then, you know, he competes on defense. And Connaughton isn't exactly that profile of player, but he's really stepped up play some defense, finish when he's had the opportunity and hit his open shots. I agree. So, as we mentioned in at the beginning of the series, the Suns don't have a, as nobody truly does have a clear-cut answer to Gian, Giannis, but he has been tearing them to shreds. And Giannis seem, seems like he has figured out some stuff. He stopped taking the threes that he was inexplicably tr- taking during the Brooklyn series. He's, I mean, I guess they finally just they had to tell him something to just stop taking those shots because in the Brooklyn series, it was really frustrating to see him do it that way. And by the way, if the Bucks end up winning the, the championship, that's going to be back from being down 2 nothing in two in two series in the po- in the same postseason. That's mighty impressive. Oh, it's an epic. Oh, it's an epic. epic run type thing, man. Um, and a question to your point. Was that strategic with Brooklyn with everybody struggling um, well, not everybody struggling, but with the Bucks around Giannis struggling more so than they had been in this series, did he had to take the three more to create that spacing? But with everybody being able to hit shots in Phoenix, he doesn't have to take those threes because he doesn't have to create spacing because everybody else is creating their own. That's a question. I'm not making a statement. I'm asking. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Uh, okay, I don't want to give out a couple of answers, so I'm going to say no. I think it was just him maybe trying to make stuff happen. But even then, and nobody in the Brooklyn roster could keep up with him. Nobody. They, they, didn't, they didn't have the personnel to. Blake Griffin, you know, could absorb some contact surprisingly well in that series. He, you know, he could keep up with him a bit in the perimeter. But nobody, no, not a soul on that Brooklyn roster could, could do it. 
And, it, and you know, this series has helped out a bit that the others have massively stepped up in the, in the finals against the Suns. And, but, you know, I think he's just, listen, they've given him the shot and he simply either posts up or passes the ball and sets a screen. That was something that we were not seeing a lot of in the Brooklyn series. That's why I thought they were toast after game five because Kevin Durant burned them. And by the way, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, that, you know, we're the Giannis discussion hinges on Kevin Durant not, be, not having oversized feet. Yeah. So do a lot of a lot. Of, so does the perception of a lot of players. Sometimes it just comes down to blind luck that some guys end up being where they are now. Of course, greatness plays a part in it, and I don't want to subtract from Giannis' greatness because he is a great player and he's on his way to being an all-time player. But you know, sometimes stuff like that happens. You get lucky breaks along the way. Every NBA champion, I I think I can say that every NBA champion that I have seen. Has, has had some semblance of luck or some semblance of unexpected benefit that ultimately took them all the way took them all the way to the to the chip there hasn't been a title one in professional sports where luck and great talent you know what I mean in play hasn't played a major part in and just to give a few examples um, if you look at the Seattle Seahawks um, and the Patriots a couple of seasons you know what I mean the the infamous you know, pick on the goal line like it was luck that the Seahawks called a dumb play you know what I mean um if you look at the Michael Jordan play against Utah Jazz I think it's, I want, it's a famous play and I don't know why I forget it but I want to say it's Byron Russell um the, the it's luck that the push-off wasn't called even though we're talking about a more physical era of basketball it was a clear push-off um I mean there are tons of examples in baseball well outside of the Astros who just flat out cheat but I mean, luck plays a part in every, you know what I mean, major sports run and every title one. Um, you have to have great... Pop taking out Tim Duncan at the final Come seconds on, of man. game six. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's that's luck. But also the legal substitution that, that allowed Tim Duncan to do this thing that time. I mean, you know what I mean? Luck. Sometimes, you know, you can't not having great fortune. So, no, totally agree. Um, and that's just the things that happen in sports and especially in the NBA where, you know, the inch, the bouncing ball, the inch. I mean, you could take it back to the Patrick Beverly play on Devin Booker um, where that play a hundred times out of a hundred without instant SOMO frame by frame replay replay is off Patrick Beverly because that's the theory of the rule. But let's say if they go on to win that series, that's dumb luck that they're able to frame by frame and, interpreted that way because that's not the theory of the rules. So no, I agree with you that, you know, luck plays a major part in anybody winning a title. Um, but back to the point, I agree with you. I, I can buy that. My thing would just be with him in the Brooklyn series. Yeah. They didn't have anybody that could hang with him, but if, because everybody else wasn't hitting shots, you didn't mind telling a guy, Hey, leave him make, if his name isn't Chris Middleton, make him make a shot. You collapse the paint and get on Giannis. But if you'll notice the Suns, they had to go to a zone two games ago, which allows them to still be close enough to the perimeter guys because most of them were hitting shots at that point. while also allowing them to somewhat be able to collapse on Giannis, which isn't a full collapse because as we talked about, that was the play where Cam Johnson did get his head in there and ripped the ball away. It's just that Giannis is so big and strong and long, pause, that he 
actually um, got the ball above two Suns defenders and was able to throw it down. Yeah, I think I'm really excited for game six. I've been excited for the last three games, and they've all been really good. You know, this final series, listen, the last five or so years, we had 2017 and 2018 finals. They were, they were garbage. Let's just be honest. No, no other team had a chance in hell. The real finals occurred in 2018 in the, in the Western Conference Finals. 2019, injuries robbed us of a, of a classic. And last season, injuries again robbed us, robbed us of a legit chance for our Miami Heat to actually compete with the LA Lakers. And, you know, we, we cannot dwell so much, too much on the past. I'm, I'm not going to be a hypocrite, JJ, so let me put a pin right there. I think injuries and all of that are part of the luck of sports. We just had that conversation. We had bad luck. The other teams had good luck. That's just what happens. It's very unfortunate, but I can't be a hypocrite like that. Not calling you a hypocrite. I'm saying I can't be. We were just the unlucky ones in that situation. And then all of those other teams that dealt with injury as well. Um, and the teams that, you know, managed to have great health or most of their teams healthy. Yeah, let's see. It was just weird. But I think these finals have been as entertaining as I can remember since maybe, I'm not going to say 2016 because 2016, if you really look at it, every game was a blow aside from Game 7, which is one of the greatest games I've ever seen in my life. But maybe 2013 is in like a series as a whole. I can't remember a series, a final series being this entertaining since 2013. Now, Moving on to Team USA basketball. Last night, Team USA completed their exhibition game run against Spain, the number one and number two ranked teams in the world going head-to-head. Team USA ended up winning. And, you know, I didn't watch top of the game, Kenneth, so I'm going to let you take over in this discussion. First off, I want to address something. Draymond is starting over Bam. Why do you think it's that? I think we talked about that too. Um, And that's because you can bring Bam in off of the bench and Bam can do a lot for every unit because that's the way he plays. But because you don't have a true playmaking point guard, you need a playmaker. And he's also the anchor of your defense. So it's like, and and that's really funny because that highlights Draymond's value. And a lot of people look at him and be like, how does he make so much money? That's why. Because even if he's not going to get you 20 points a game, he plays such a vital role in everything that you're able to do. He allows everybody else to be able to get their 20 points a game because he's a playmaker of the highest caliber, regardless of positions, and he's a defender of the highest caliber. So um, I think for that team and with him being able to operate more all over the floor than Bam can at this point, and don't get me wrong, you hope that Bam is on a trajectory to become Draymond Green super, super duper in that he's more athletically explosive. He has more gifts. Um, He has the ability to be more skilled because he's a more fluid athlete, but he has to hope to become the basketball savant and genius that Draymond is because that's what allows him to be the great player that he is. So that's the trajectory that you hope Bam is on, but Draymond is just better at it right now because he's so much more intellectually inclined from a basketball perspective. And that's why I'd say he's starting. Keldon Johnson 
and JaVale McGee were promoted to Team USA due to Bradley Beal and Kevin Love's departure from the team. Bradley Beal, due, he tested positive for coronavirus. And Kevin Love, I'm not sure, I'm not sure why he departed the team. So much for Kevin Love rebuilding his trade value. I guess his only path out of Cleveland right now is if a team just decides to take on his contract and end up caps attached picks, which I think is highly unlikely for them given that they're a rebuilding or, team or a buyout. Or no, right. That's what I was about to say. Now, mind you, he's do 60 over the next two. If he goes to them and say, hey, man, just give me half of the money. Give me 15 over the next two and we can even split it up in two years. They'll buy him out. And they'll buy him out oh, within man, the next I minute. I don't think he's given. No player will ever give out that amount of that amount of money because what can he truly get in the open market? It's <sighs> how bad does he want JJ? How bad he? I, I'm I'm not counting another man's money. Let's let's do this. I'm not counting another man's money. And and I and I say this to say how bad does a guy want to win again? How bad does a guy want to finish his career playing a relevant situation? Now he has a title, so you have to include that like he isn't the guy that's looking for a title no, right but he wants to go to a winning but, situation again but and probably get out get out of, of cold right. cleveland right so he just wants to play meaningful minutes for a meaningful team um so i said the title thing and that you know guys that haven't won a title they'll do anything but let's and again not to count his money 2015 to 2019, five-year, $113 million deal. 2012 to 2014, four years, $60 million deal. Entry-level contract, 20, 2008 through 2011, $14 million deal. Hey, look, man, I'm no mathematician, but just a little quick math here. 113 and 60, that's 173 plus 14. He's made over $187 million on his first three contracts, not to mention the $60 million he's made on the first two years of this contract and then the $60 million he's due on the back end. So the man has made over $240 million, I want to say, definitely over $220 million in his career, not to count his money, because that's not what we do around here. I'm trying to make a point. The man has a lot of money. Almost, <laughs> so, I so do it. a lot of NBA players. You know, nobody's programmed to give... Right, nobody's programmed to give up $60 million. However, if you can make half of that money go make some more money and be happy. And from two guys, not to put you out, we're transparent on this podcast, so we're not gonna go deep, but this shows the, the nature of our friendship and relationship, but with two guys that know what it's like to simply not be happy. Is it worth Absolutely. his happiness? See, that, and that's the case you have to make. So there's still a chance that he can go and say, hey man, give me half of my money and my happiness, because that's important. I don't care how much money you have, JJ. And again, we've had these conversations offline about the things we've dealt with. So we both know that simply being happy is the most important thing a lot of times. And when you've experienced unhappiness, you'll do almost anything to be happy, even if that means giving up $15 million twice over. Okay. I see your point. Now, from the Casper. Is that if I if I if I put it that way, you know what I mean? But go ahead now. I totally agree with what from you're the about Cass to say. Perspective, it's still a massive cap hit. The cap hit still is still is still the same for them. It's just that they have to pay out less cash. Why would they do it? Did they just want to get rid of of him as a locker room presence? Maybe because there have been well documented on the court issues with him. And I would say the past two seasons there have been incidents on the court in the middle of an NBA Absolutely. game. Absolutely. 
The infamous, the infamous drop pass. What the hell was he doing, JJ? I don't know. What, what was he doing? Maybe it's just frustration took him over. It's a really young team, a bad team. That's and when you're a veteran, a guy's been around championship teams, a guy's been around all-time talent, and then you're playing. I don't want to disrespect the young guys because they're they got next. But listen, young guys make mistakes. Young guys take time to learn. I guess that Kevin Love's at the stage of his career where he's just like, hey man, I just I'm not here to teach young guys how to play and and how to how to make it in this league. I'm, I just want to win. And you know what? That's totally fine. He's what I think he's 32. Maybe he's got one more one or two more contracts left, depending on how he plays. Because his last two seasons, he hasn't been he has been nowhere near the money that he's been he's been getting paid. Kind of a rough go there. Uh, let's see how how it it goes for him and with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and if they end up working out a trade with somebody, or if they just end up buying him out. And that would be my last point. You hit on it. Um, as far as the Cavaliers' perspective, why they would want to get rid of him, or not necessarily get rid of him, but why they would be willing to let him go. Not only the the stuff you mentioned with just you know not being the best place for him, and then not being conducive to what they're trying to build. That's from a locker room chemistry, personality, how it psychologically works, basketball-wise, man. Um, yes, cap hit. You do get to save some cash, and we do know Gilbert wants to save some cash as he can. We know that. But at the same time, it allows you to play your younger guys. It allows you to try to maximize Nance, um, who you're also going to have to make another decision and, on and, soon. And it to, allows you, you to Jared get, Allen, who's a restricted free agent. Well, that's what I was just about to say that it allows you to maximize him because you're going to have to give him max dollars. I mean, and that's just two examples, not to mention, you know, some of the other things they have going on down there and how that impacts that. So, um, you know, I mean, they just have other things or other ways that they could begin to go basketball wise, too, if he wasn't there. Because if he's there and he's healthy and you're paying him what you have to be paying him, you're going to pay him at least 20 minutes at a game, least, right? 20, I would at, say. At the, at, at the Right. I would play him 30, but I'm just, you know, on the low end. I'm trying to be a pessimist here. He's going to at least take up 20 minutes of development time. I would say 25 somebody. with that amount of money he's, right. he's earning. Exactly. And also, right. something we haven't exactly. mentioned. So, you know, part of the – if you want to get more – you want to get deeper into the Cavs, you know, we're speaking as outsiders, but if you want to get deep into the Cavs, you can check out Cavalier Central, part of the Hoopheads Podcast Network with our friend Justin over there. Check them out. But one last point. One last Absolutely. Absolutely. Last check point. them out. They have the number three pick. And it's pretty safe to say that the top three prospects in this draft are two guards who are clearly going to the Pistons and the Rockets. So that leaves you with Mobley, is he, is he, he's called another front court see, player. That, see, that that's a thing, though. Some people have said that the Rockets want Mobley. I've, I've read other things that they, they're zeroed in on Jalen Green. Okay, well, that okay, and that would make sense. And that would make total sense because they have Woods out there. Um, I don't know if they're going to try to bring KO back, but if they want to maximize Woods and then, you know, if they're going to try to bring Olenek back, which they Sean should Tate. because they're direct. Go ahead. 
Yeah, right, Jason Tate. So they and I like I like him. You know, I like him, JJ. Yeah, he so, was he was fantastic for them. So what do you do if you're Cleveland? Absolutely, he did everything. He's like a mini Draymond Green. Um, he isn't Draymond yet, but if you look at him and close your eyes, well, don't close your eyes because you can't look at him and close your eyes. But if you look at him real quick, you'd be like, wait a minute, is that Draymond Green? But because he does a lot of things for them. That's all. I think he's listed. He was listed as a two guard to begin the season and he's played everywhere from center to power four. Um, so no, I really like him too, but if that's the case, then you're also looking at Cleveland having a chance to land Mobley. That's another big man. So I think Mobley can play the four in the league. I think he's actually going to be a better stretch forward than pure five in the league. Um, so that's another situation. Like you're taking away time from the developmental guy that you're going to spend a top three pick on. If you keep Kevin Love, which is what you were yeah. in toys, right? Didn't mean to step on Not your toes. Only you just got me excited. Larry Nance Jr. They've got a, you know, they've got a... Right, right. A, a plethora of guys. Look at Okoro, who really doesn't shoot the ball well and does most of his work defensively and in the paint. But if you got Kevin Love bouncing in and out of there, it takes away from that development. A lot of interesting Cavs discussion here, but we're going to leave that to people who are more plugged in with the Cavs and watch them more closely than we do. Now... Do you want to talk a bit more about Team USA and how they looked against Spain? Um, yeah, we did jump a little bit off topic there, but that's what you do to me, JJ. You tend to do that. Um, I mean, Team USA, from a pure basketball perspective, they're figuring things out. Like I said um, at the top of this discussion about Draymond Green, they figured out that he's probably going to be their best bet from a playmaking and a defensive anchor perspective, which is something – um, I think the two main things they need to figure out because they have a bunch of guys who can go and get it done on their own. But sometimes you need a guy to get them the ball and sometimes you need a guy to put them in the place that they need to be defensively. So I think they figured that out. And last night was an example of that because last night was an easy victory over, like you said, the other top ranked team in the world. Um, as far as the two additions, I think Keldon Johnson had a leg up for a couple of reasons. One, his head coach in the NBA, Greg Popovich, is the head coach of the national team. So he sees him every day. He already has a certain, you know, uh, what's the word, a certain uh, leaning, right, a certain understanding and leaning towards his game. He prescribes to his game already. He drafted the kid into the league. Um, me and Kevin Johnson are from the same place in the world, by the way. We're both from Southside, Virginia. Um, however, with that being said, um, so shout out to the crib. But with that being said, you you also like what Kelvin Johnson brings. Like he brings a guy, and I think it was brought up on the broadcast last night, what they, as I mentioned, they have a bunch of guys who can go get it on their own. Well, that's why Draymond and Bam and guys like Keldon Johnson and even guys like JaVale McGee are important there because even though they may do it differently, they're guys that are great in their own aspects because they can play off other people, which is also a talent. An example, Draymond's ability to playmake and ability to be a defensive anchor. Yeah, he may start the play. But that is what it is because of the interactionary play with him and other teammates. Like, if you look at what Bam does, yeah, we scream and we need him to shoot the ball more when he comes back to his pro club. But what he excels at now and what makes him an all-star caliber player right now is the other stuff that he's able to do from a team defense playmaking and just orchestrating offense perspective. And that's another interac interactionary circumstance where he's only able to be great at that because of what his team is able to do and allows him to do. Well, when you look at Kelvin Johnson, he's a finisher. You know what I mean? When he gets the rock close to the rim, an example, he makes a play. He finishes it. When, you know, he's put in a position to do something with the ball or 
to help another teammate do something with the ball. He does that. So he excels in that area of finishing plays or helping his teammate finish plays. And specifically with JaVale McGee, and all this kind of hints towards why they were the two guys chosen as well. When you look at what he does, he's a lob guy. He can finish lobs. Um, He's also a long, springy shot blocker. And why he's important is because if you look at the international game, you can rip it off the glass. That's something, and then of course they need another big man, which has been evident throughout the exhibitions. But that's something that ripping it off the glass portion and just taking it off the rim, which is something you can do internationally that you can't do in the NBA. Um, JaVale McGee will really separate them in that area because there aren't many guys that are as long, as big, and as springy as him. And not to mention he's used to playing against NBA guys, so there's a certain level of physicality that he's going to bring when attacking those balls off the rim that everybody's not used to. So I think that's why he was the guy. Is he the best big? Um, the best you know, American the big? Best big I don't know. Available? Was it, they, maybe maybe I was gonna, not. I was right, say, exactly. They, maybe they not. At least giving Jared Allen a call? I know he's a free agent, and free agents. I agree. I, I agree. I agree. But specifically for what they needed in that aspect of the game, I just touched on the grabbing it off the rim, the ability to quickly get up there. That's what got JaVale into the league. The guy has quick hands and he's super long. You can't knock that. And I think for that specific reason, he was the best fit. I will say, though, you know, I, I didn't watch this last game against Spain, but I did, I did monitor the news. JaVale McGee has had one of the weirdest careers I've ever seen for an NBA player. First off, the man was almost out of the league at one point. And then the 2017 Warriors called and said, hey, well, we need a center. And he said, okay, well, they, they signed him, got two rings with them. Then the Lakers came calling, stayed with them with Lebr- and LeBron, got another ring, and now he might be a, an Olympic gold medalist. What a great career for, for JaVale McGee. Great career bro, turnaround. Bro, um, he humbled himself, but it goes back to what I said, man. If you have one great ability, like, first of all, you have to be great at something. That's how you made it to the league. But he humbled himself, and he still had one. I mean, he does a lot of good stuff for your team in the minutes he's allotted. Don't get me wrong, because he's a big guy who can finish everything if you get him close enough to the rim. But he has that one elite, elite skill, shot blocking. Like, like, bro, I'm telling you, like, his second, like, the quickness with which he can block shots, it's, it's not natural, which is why even when he was on Shacting every week, he had to just block every game that made you say that's why he's still yeah, in the back, league. Throwback, throwback to those Washington Wizards days where you just, you know, you were, he was an athletic marvel, but you just sometimes... I mean, yeah, like I said, bro, he was on Shaqton every game, but once a game, I mean, he would literally just snatch a shot out of the air that would leave your mouth at your chest. Like, yo, how did he do that? Why can't he do that for 40 minutes a game? So, that, I mean, you, you, one of the weirdest trajectories in career, career paths ever. Um, I mean, I'm happy for the guy, man, because like you said, from a weekly recurring member of Shaqton, the fool, to being a three-time champion and now a likely gold medal winning Olympian and a crucial part because he's their biggest guy and they're going to need him, especially when they face off some of these guys with bigger teams Ser- like, Serbia. an example, Spain, Serbia, who has the Gasol brothers. Big dudes. Right. I mean, 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. Isn't uh, you know what I mean? They got a lot of they got a lot of big NBA guys out there. Um, so you know, I think he's gonna he's gonna be important, and I'm happy for him. But you 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 were exactly right. That's nothing to say. He's had one of the weirdest career paths ever. But such an American story, man. You you love to see him go from the mud yeah, to glory. Yeah, that's the ultimate American. It's the American story. Now, mind you, he was in the NBA making great money. So not really the mud, but you it know what like, I mean? Relative. He was in the mud NBA relative mud to his profession. To, right, like he was right. Like, he, he was, it's like what, that guy, one guy in the office when that you see him and he's like, hey, well, he, he's all right. He, he's got his moments, he, but. He was, a, he was a millionaire hedge fund operator who had the last desk. Now he's in it. He's a three-time NBA champion. Good for him, though. Anyway, let's let's move on to another topic: Damian Lillard and Kawhi Leonard. Let's touch on. Since we were on Team USA, by the way, I mean, because you see the chemistry with Damian. Oh, you see, yeah. it. you see, it. and him and Tatum were were sharing some laughs. Zach Levine was gushing over our guy Bam. Shh, shh, you're telling the Bulls and Boston fans what well, we're planning. Shh. My mistake. I apologize for once again upsetting the Miami Heat fan council. Yes, we're, 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 we're plotting on Tatum and Levine. Don't tell them that we're doing that. All right, my mistake. Anyway, Damian Lillard. Well, it was last Friday eventful for Damian, for one Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers. First, okay, we're not going to address the private investigate. Did somebody say true hoops? Oh. Did somebody say true Somebody hoops? will say true hoops soon. First off, I'm not going to address the, the private investigator thing regarding the Portland Trailblazers because that's, that's just whatever. We're, we're, I'm not, let's just not talk about it. Not our specific cup of tea to dive into. However, if you want some background, just look it up. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all out there. It's some very weird stuff. Anyway, I'm going to quote an aggregator here, the NBA, NBA Central account. A source close to Damian Lillard says that in the days to come, he plans to request a trade per at True Hoop. Now, a couple hours later, Damian Lillard told Chris Haynes, his trusted reporter, anything that Chris Haynes reports on Damian Lillard. His conduit. His conduit. That's If you hear it from Haynes, it came from the mouth. I mean, he just got off the phone with Dame Lillard. If it came from Haynes, you can bet your bottom dollar on it. Damian Lillard, t- I'm going to quote Mark Stein here, a tweet from Mark Stein. Damian Lillard tells Chris Haynes in this interview that he will address a True Hoop report about his future with the Trailblazers following USA basketball practice on Friday. This was last Friday. And then Damian Lillard mentioned that he has not requested a trade and he has not decided his future yet. There was a part of the piece where he mentioned that the Portland Trailblazers is currently constructed. They were not a championship winning team. Now, two things there. First, he was non-committal like, because he said that he has made a decision still. I don't expect a trade request to come, but it's on his mind. It will. It is inevitably on his mind. And the fact that he kind of threw his teammates under the bus, that's, you know, okay. Because say you're Damian Lillard. Okay, you're the clear-cut best player on the Portland Trailblazers. You... Whatever you do, whatever you say, they do. Now imagine go walking out to training camp and saying, "Hey, uh, well, well, before training camp, saying, hey, this championship, this roster is currently not a contender for a championship.' Then that's what. What message are you sending to your team? Is you guys are not good enough to compete with me? 
I, I'm not saying I disagree with him, but when you're a player, sometimes it's better to just do it. There, okay, there's no right or wrong way, but sometimes maybe it comes off a bit less harsh to your teammates by just saying it via a reporter than just saying it yourself. Again, Damian Miller has always been a straightforward guy. It has been his great strength and his great weakness with fans. As we all saw a couple weeks ago when he went, he was going at it on Twitter with some fans. That what does that say to, to Yusuf Nurkic and CJ McCollum? I would be pretty hurt if I'm if I'm being honest, if that our leader is just saying, Hey, you guys are not good enough. So we have because that I know that means that one of us is gonna get shipped out just because this guy said so. Would you agree, Kenneth? I totally agree, man. Um I mean we had talked about this as it all was unfolding the other day. Um, and I think this was kind of like our conversation about it. Um, we were talking about how, you know, if the report that we, you know, believed it was true and all of that jazz and how you said he's such a straight, you said that when we were chatting about it the other day, that he's such a straightforward guy. And I mentioned that, you know, how if it were true, um, he probably would act as if, you know, it didn't exist and that he didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and then as the day progressed and he started to address the reports, that's kind of, you know, what began to happen. As you said, he was noncommittal. He kind of threw his teammates under the bus. He acted as if, you know, the report was absolutely false. And like you said, um, he didn't commit, man. That's important. He didn't commit. So it's on his mind. Um, you have to feel like that. Now, it's also important to note something you said about the teammates in specific. CJ McCollum has to really feel bad because he's locked in. Nurk, if you'll note and remember at the end of the season after they lost, it was kind of one of those things where he was sitting at the table being questioned by the reporter and they said um, something to the effect of, you know, are improvements or is your presence on this roster dependent on the improvements that can be made or do you want to be here in the future or something to that nature? And he kind of just gave them a, nondescript answer basically just a neutral answer he didn't say he wanted to be there he didn't say he didn't want to be there but he kind of said it depended on what they did so i said that to say not only is he looking at you know one of his teammates saying one of us isn't going to be here but it's absolutely cj mccollum because he's the only other one that's locked in to be there right now so that has to be double you know what i mean double weighing down on not only cj but the team because Nobody else is locked in. Everybody else can leave if they want to. So it's more or less either I'm going to be here or CJ is going to be here. And I think that's the most crucial thing because they're the one-two punch. And it has proven time and time, aside from that 2019 run, which I would want to call it a fluke run. But let's just be honest. It's a total outlier. The Nuggets the weren't ready to compete at that level yet. It showed, and it's, they still took them to seven games. It only took a CJ McCollum microwave game and he could have missed from the mid-range to get them to the Western Conference Finals for them to get smoked by the Golden State Warriors. They haven't even sniffed uh, that type of success ever since. Now, what that that prompted Damian Lillard to believe that the, that the Blazers were close and that they were on the right path and he signed that Supermax extension. Now, I know it was a lot of money. He probably would have signed it regardless, although maybe not. 
if they hadn't made that run. But he's locked on. He's locked in under contract for the long haul. It's a business, man. We've talked about power plays. I think that players now are going to sign the Supermax deals because their teams are the only ones that can offer them to them and then play it like this. I'll give you a year or two to get it right, and if not, I'm going to force you to trade me on my Supermax Besides, salary. This is how it always begins. It's, this is the, the superstar forcing his way out playbook. A report comes out from a source that people don't usually trust that says that X superstar player is going to request a trade or is unhappy with his current team. Superstar player denies it, but denies it in a way that leaves a little bit of room for doubt. Still leaves that room. Everybody knows that the team as currently constructed cannot win and don't have and and this usually happens when teams don't have any the only other way they can go is either a lateral move or downwards it's happened with the Houston Rockets last season as soon as they lost to the Lakers I I thought to myself to myself what else can they possibly do they they just basically they don't have any picks well they didn't have any picks by then Russell Westbrook contracts is an albatross James Harden is James Harden is a top five player, but he's, you know, by that point, he was still like three years away from from being a free agent or two. It's a, it's a playbook, man. Now some other guys go about it differently, like who's, like a Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, but Damian Lillard does not strike me as that type of guy. And we all know how this always ends. This always ends in a sour note with the, with the team that ends up trading their superstar either getting a, Minimal return. The only uh, the only other team I've seen get a really good return for their superstar recently were the Pelicans, and it was because the Lakers have been bad for so long that they had accumulated all these young assets and picks, and they had the ultimate they had the ultimate championship chip in LeBron James. They could they knew they could go all in. Now this raises a, uh, an interesting dilemma for other teams because, as it's usual, as we saw with the Knicks in 2011. Do you just gut your team to get a guy? Because then, how much better are you from the team that he left? That's a, that's a question that you need to that you as management going after a superstar have to ask yourself. Now, some, I think the only teams that could possibly field a championship contending team if they were to throw the bank at the at the Blazers are the Sixers. The Raptors and maybe the Warriors. Those are the only other. These are the only teams that come up to mind. When you look at that situation, man, you have to ask yourself, what's what's the or who shall I say, who is the dominant force in the whole scenario? It has to when be. It has to be the player. Players, when you're talking about players on. Right. When you're talking about players on certain levels of deals and certain levels of talent, it has to be the player. And in this case, it's Damian Lillard. So I don't think that the team and their assets have as much to do with it as they typically would. Um, because I'll put it to you like this. A lot of people like like tried to question the Miami Heat about the James Harden scenario. And, you know, you hear this a lot. Oh, you guys wouldn't give up Tyler Hero for James Harden. Well, they wanted more. But even more important than that, James Harden wanted to be in Brooklyn. So I think that n no matter what a team has or is willing to give up for a guy, 
It's all about what that player wants. Now, if that player doesn't have a preference, then you're talking about a whole new ball game. Then it's about which team can muster up the best package. But I think the first question that has to be answered is, does that player have a particular team or set of teams that he would rather go to? Because more often than not, the team or the set of teams that the player desires to go to, that's where he's going to end up. And to add to that, the Miami Heat were named in the initial report among teams that Damian Lillard was interested in. I mean, do we need to say more? We've, we've hyped, you know, we've hypothesized and theorized and fantasized and all the eyes for the, you know, entirety of the offseason since we lost to the Bucks about this possibility, about this potential, and especially after they got knocked out of the playoffs. So, you know, this is what we want to hear. Now, I want to see more. I want to see more reports. I need to hear more rumors. I'd love to hear Haynes say something about it. Because as we discussed, if he says it, then Dame said it. Um, but at the same time, you know, we got to wait and see. Because while we may be at the top of the list, I don't know. I don't know either. And could what you, gotta, you also got to entice Portland to take a package that doesn't include Bam or Jimmy. Because that's the key. Right. Well, I don't – we'll see uh, five reasons – has reported that the Miami Heat deem Bam untouchable. As, as they should. We know Jimmy is untouchable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 100%. Because, don't get me wrong, for as great as Dame is, and I still think he has four or five more of these type years left in him because of the way that the league is called today and because of the way he gets it done. I don't know if you sacrifice 10 to 15 more BAM years for four or five years from Dame. I don't know that answer. And right now I would lean not to because BAM still has so much potential. If you give him up, that still does not make you the, the it's favorite. A, it's, a, it's a moot point, right? Because you're adding Dame Lillard. So you might become a little better than you were before you shipped off BAM, but you're still not good enough without BAM to be the title contender that you want to be and for the reason that you make. And the you're not beating Brooklyn. Move. Not without Bam. No, no, not without Bam. That's the, that's, the, that's the behemoth that you're trying to conquer Brooklyn for the next four years. And I think that it's time. This is what we have to ask ourselves. <sighs> it's Tyler Hero. Draft picks. Maybe a couple of our developmental guys, Gabe, Precious, uh, KZ, uh, you know what I mean? Maybe even a sign and trade for K9. Is that, can you entice Portland enough with that? And of course, you know, we have draft picks that we can offer in 2025 and 2027 because we can't trade first round picks in consecutive years and we've already traded out of plenty. So could those 2025, 2027, maybe a pick swap and the, you know, the things that I brought up a second ago be enough to entice Portland? Not, he's inter also interested in the Knicks. Not if the Knicks offer R.J. Barrett. And if the Sixers offer Ben Simmons and a variation of Matisse Tybal and Tyrese Maxey. Okay, now the Sixers package, the Sixers package, I totally agree with you. But if I'm tasked to choose between Barrett and Hero, I think Hero is going to be the better player. Ooh, I'm not sure. I, uh, I'm not going to say I disagree. I see. I need to see more from both guys. I, I agree there, but if we're asking to choose now, I'd say Hero because for me, Barrett right now is too one-dimensional. He's either going to get to the cup or he's going to float you. Um, and don't get me wrong, he can get you 15 to 20 points a game doing that. However, 
Hero has the capability to do that while also having the capability to run your offense and be a three-level guy. I mean, right now. So that's why I say if I have the ability, if I'm choosing between those two guys, I take Hero. And not just because he's my guy, but because I think he, you know, his potential is higher. You don't have to pay Hero for next two years. Next season, uh, next season you uh, have to there pay you go. RJ Barrett. Oh, yeah. Barrett's going to be looking for some monies. You got to take that into account as well. Absolutely. And also at the top of the show, to keep going with the rumors, we actually heard another one. And we're going to close with something else, another rumor, another guy that we're interested in. But this is important. Um, it also said that the Pelicans now are entering the race for a free agent guard to pair with Zion. And that guy just so happens to be a guy that we've talked about a lot here in Miami Heatland and a guy who has seemingly been a Miami Heat target since the last trade deadline in Cal Lowry. Um, how do you feel about that rumor, JJ? Oh, they would have to. They would have to offer him first. Of all, they have to offer him a lot of money, entice him that Zion is the guy to take them over the top. Because, as as other reports have mentioned, if the Pelicans, if Lonzo Ball gets a a big offer, the Pelicans are unlikely to match it. Which means that teams like Chicago, who have been long rumored to be interested in him, have a free path to just offering him a little bit more of money than the Pelicans are willing to pay and snatch him, leaving them with a point guard, unless you th- they think that Kira Lewis is ready, which maybe he isn't, maybe he is. I have, I'm not as plugged in with the Pelicans and haven't been watching them as closely as some other people have. Now, Kyle Lowry is about to turn 35 years old in the season. I don't, he, I don't know, maybe he has two more good solid years of Kyle Lowry and him. Would would the Pelicans really be enticing enough for him? I know, I know this is the part of the Kawhi getting injured domino effect, which by the way we haven't mentioned, Kawhi Leonard suffered a partially torn ACL in the playoffs and he's out indefinitely. So maybe he could be out at least until April or so of next season, if not the whole season. And knowing Kawhi, he could very well set out the entire season even if the Clippers make the playoffs, which then brings us to the Clippers are no longer going to be a top four team unless Paul George plays MVP level basketball. And the, but then you have other questions on the roster to address as well. Reggie Jackson is probably going to leave because he's going to get, he's earned himself a bag this play, in these playoffs. Call us Reggie. By the way, Call us Reggie. Call us. I think Pat Riley and Andy Ellisberg should be setting up a meeting with Reggie and his agent Right Reggie, now, Reggie, call us, call us, Reggie. As our friend Kenneth here is alluding, then you also have the is. I'm pretty sure they're going to try to get off the Luke Kennard contract and maybe even Marcus Morris. So that leaves the Clippers out of may potentially as a lower end playoff team or play in team. So maybe the Pelicans see this as a chance to finally make the jump, but then you also have to take into account that the Grizzlies would potentially see this as an opportunity to, to jump up. Hell, maybe even the Kings find, finally make see a move Absolutely. and say, hey, this is our time. We have to make the playoffs because they could. De'Aaron Fox is a, is a really good player. They've got a big, a big Marvin Bagley-sized question to address this offseason. A Marvin Bagley-sized question. And, you know, so then Kyle Lowry has to ask himself, all these other teams are going to be gunning for the Clippers spot. 
You also could think maybe the Blazers take a step back if, if Nurkic leaves and Damian Lillard ends up asking out, maybe. You also have to take into account the other young teams that are improving. I was just about to say, man, listen, I look at it like this. You have the Warriors, the Spurs, the I, Kings. I, I forgot the Warriors. Um, and let's just say the Rock. Right. And let's just say the and let's just say the Rockets, if they can bring John Wall back healthy, bring Woods back, let's say with Tate coming back and Olenek coming back, let's say if they bring Olenek back, they could make a push for a playoff seed or play in game. I mean, no, there are a lot of up and coming teams or teams with experience. Like I said, the Warriors and the Spurs, an example, that are surely looking to make that jump back into playoff contention, man. So, no, you 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 make a good point. However, I don't know if at this point, like you said, basically with your point, that he's willing to take on that type of situation. But then that also presents Alonzo Ball question. So from a Heat perspective, we want Kyle Laurie, but if they land Laurie, then they're not going to retain Ball, and that opens him up to come to us. So I think either way, we'll be all right on that end. But you make a good point as far as if the Pelicans can make some noise. But you also have to include this. We talked about it maybe last week or a week prior, how – there's noise in New Orleans now that Zion may be unhappy in that situation. So if you're Kyle Lowry, do you also take that into consideration before signing a deal with them? I think that all of it boils down to this. It isn't a situation for him because you probably can't 100% see it panning out to be a winning situation right now. And I think that's what he's looking for on top of wanting to get, you know, a little bit of a bag. As you mentioned to me, you kind of opened my eyes up in the last few weeks about the money he might be looking to get. John Hollinger over at the Athletic. I know John Hollinger is not the end-all, be-all of player evaluations. This is the guy that wanted to give, that according to his metric, wanted to give a lot of money to Hassan Whiteside. The the type of metric he uses tends to overvalue big men. That's why PR and PR, if in terms of PR, Hassan Whiteside was a was a top-level player. But when you watch the games, you know, and yeah, this guy is not a winning basketball player. But anyway, according to his valuation. Kyle Lowry should be getting around $25 million per in the offseason. And that is the same number that I've been reading and I have been estimating you know, in my own head that he might get. Now, that seems like a lot, especially for a 35-year-old point guard for, with a lot, and I mean a lot of mileage. So maybe he ends up getting a bit less, or if he ends up getting that money, he probably gets a 1 plus 1. I can definitely see between 20 and 25 for sure. I think to wrap this up, at the risk of sounding very biased and like a homer, I think he ends up here. The signs have been, I, I think, the, the signs I, I have think, been pointing, I, I the signs have too, been man. pointing down to South Beach for a long time. A long time. He already has his stuff in Florida because, mind you, they played in Tampa last exactly. year. Exactly. He has a strong relationship with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is the godfather to his to Kyle Lowry's daughter, for Christ's sake. And we're going to make him an offer that he can't refuse. He's got a strong relationship with Jimmy. This is a team that went to the finals last year and still make the playoffs even after having the season from hell. We can make Duncan Robinson return. Kendrick Dunn is probably going to leave. It's our biggest flight risk. I can see that. I can see that. And that might even help us land Kyle Lowry because I can see Kendrick Nunn potentially being a sign-and-trade target for somebody like Toronto who need another guard to come in and play beside Fred Van Vliet. Now, I don't know if they're going to want to go that tiny. That's a very, but that that's may a very be small option. backcourt. Oh, yeah, that's definitely tiny, tiny, tiny. And Kendrick Nunn is not a, Kendrick Nunn is not a, is not a good defender. I'm sorry. No, he's not. He's not. And, and his size doesn't help there because I mentioned it 
in recent episodes with us, if you watch the way that Drew Holiday simply just beefed him at any given moment when he wanted to, it, it wasn't pretty to see. It made you feel bad for K-9. Kendrick's got to get that back in the offseason. Some, oh, team, yeah. some team's going to give him. Oh, yeah. I, and I don't and knock good that. Good for him. He was undrafted. Yeah, man. The, the cool has went from being a developmental guy to now going to get the 20 mil oh, a I year. Don't know. I, don't know. So, I don't know. I mean, I don't I'm, know he's going to get 20 thinking, mil, but he's definitely going to get. Man, he's going to get he's going to get 15 to 20 mil, JJ. You know there's a fool out there that's going to give him 18 million dollars. 18 is 20 I don't to think me. Masayo Jerry's a fool. Well, you 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 said it, not me. Hey, no. So to tie up our <laughs> Speaking of you, Jerry, man, to tie our, to tie a bow around this show. Um another, you know, I said speaking of you, Jerry because it's another classic move that he made to land this guy and bring the first title to Toronto even though now he's in LA. We can't escape this episode without talking about another guy that many of us thought might have a chance to land in Miami before the dust settled. Um, and if the Clippers had went out early, um, earlier than they did, as many of us thought that they would have, not only might have he not have, you know, severely finished injuring his knee, but the chances of him coming might have been greater. However, for a team that may be looking to get his services, or may have been looking to get his services, maybe this is a blessing because now you 100% know what you've been dealing with for the last two years or so. Kawhi Leonard finished tearing his ACL, or finished partially tearing his ACL, whatever, and he had a procedure to fix that in the last week or so. Um, and, you know, there are people estimating that he could miss as much as most of next year recovering from that. What are your thoughts on that, JJ, and as far as the Heat's pursuit uh, Kawhi Leonard, um, you know what I mean. In that case, if they want to keep pursuing him, then if you if you get a big fish this offseason, it's got to be a one plus one or a one year deal, because Kawhi, he's either going to opt in or he's going to sign a one year deal with the Clippers in order to be eligible for the two hundred and forty something million dollar five year extension that he could be eligible with for with the Clippers. I don't think I think unless he takes a meeting and is willing to commit long-term. But even then, he's going to be out for the year because partially torn ACLs are, as I've been able to gather, reading some doctors who have written some stuff on Twitter and, you know, other the podcasts I listen to and, and I read articles, partially torn ACL, they treat it basically as if it were a fully torn ACL. So that means the recovery time is usually... 9 to 12 months. 9 months is being very, and I mean very optimistic. Right. And so just to kind of put a pin, not not to cut you off, but to give you some, uh, I guess, surrounding news. I'm reading a piece here. It says, Dr. Michael S. George of KSF Orthop Orthopedic Center in Houston, Texas, who provided insight on the injury and situation to NBA.com actually says, now this is a quote, what will Leonard's rehab process entail? After surgery, extensive rehab is necessary with a gradual increase in activity from walking to running and then finally cutting and pivoting activities at four to six months. The rehab will extend into the beginning of next season with a return to NBA competition likely in January or February if he has a typical recovery schedule. Now with the NBA going back to the regular season, you're talking all-star breakage. Maybe. Right, again, maybe. And right, that's perhaps. if he recovers well. If there are no setbacks, maybe some, some guys take a bit more time to recover. And we have to include the fact that history shows us Kawhi is overly cautious. Exactly. And, you know, something about him is he, he just doesn't 
He's not exactly a great communicator. He just, when he's back, he says, okay, I'm back. But even then, I think he'll probably keep the, the Clippers in the dark. Probably going back to his mansion that he's recently bought mansion over in LA. Good for him. Get that money, man. So I think we should wrap this up by with that. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 305 Culture Podcast. Subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a short review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, which you, we could really appreciate it. That helps us grow the show. You can, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at 305 Culture Pod. And see, keep enjoying. Yeah. And uh, be sure to, I was about to say, just let them know to be sure to follow us both individually on Twitter. NBA and yours is? K underscore said underscore K. Um, that's K underscore the word said underscore Q-U-E on Twitter. That's it for this week. Keep enjoying the NBA Finals because the offseason is fast approaching and boy, could I not be more excited. So see you next week. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Absolutely.